Welcome to PCOS and You, a podcast where we talk about everything related to polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS. I'm your host Nidhi Singh, founder of PCOS Club India and PCOS Coach. Now, dealing with PCOS for several years, we're always on a quest to find the best diet, a diet that can make our PCOS go away. And I'm sure you must have seen thousands of posts, reels, blogs screaming, this is the best diet for PCOS or this is the best diet for PCOS. One could be about becoming 100% vegan, other could be about dropping dairy and gluten, while other one could be about going low carb. Now, as someone who is just newly diagnosed, this information could not only be confusing, but very dangerous because PCOS can present itself differently for everyone and hence one needs a tailored approach when it comes to the best diet. Now, in today's episode, I have Martha McEtrick, registered dietitian and nutrition expert based in New York, who has over 15 years of experience in helping people with PCOS. And I had the pleasure of getting to know Martha on the historic PFDD meeting that we both had a chance to co-moderate and ended up spending about two days talking about health, fitness, and everything about PCOS. And I learned so much from her that I had to invite her for today's podcast. Hello, Martha. Very warm welcome. So excited to have you today. Hi, Nidhi. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to talk more about PCOS with you. Like you said, I know we talked a lot when we were together at the meeting, but I'm really excited to take a deeper dive into it today. Fantastic. So um, for anybody who's tuned in today's Uh, podcast is not just about finding the best diet, but it's about busting myths about the most talked about eating patterns when it when when we Google or we we hear information about the best diet for PCOS. So we'll get on to each of these aspects as we go along. So Martha, I think the first aspect that we that we spoke about was fasting or intermittent fasting which is um, now known to help people to lose weight and help with PCOS. So as for the evidence available and the latest science and lived experiences of so many people that you've helped, what are your thoughts on that? Um, The first thing I would kind of clarify is, you know, what type of fasting are we talking about, right? As I'm sure you know, there's different kinds of intermittent fasting, Um, You can fast for a full day. One of the more popular ones is called the 16 and 8, where you're eating within an eight-hour window and you're fasting in a 12-hour window. Um, And so we talked about a lot, and a lot of doctors tell their patients to do it. And um, the thing is, there's not really any evidence that I'm aware of behind PCOS patients and intermittent fasting. Uh, There might be some studies out there, but there's no real clear evidence uh, to it. And I think I would really want to know a couple of things first. Um, Well, also I should add is that there aren't many studies done in women of reproductive age. A lot of the studies on intermittent fasting are done in men, or there's some done in women more of the menopausal age. Uh, And Mm -hmm. we know there's studies done with, you know, maybe longevity or, or even helping with cancer, but with actually for women of reproductive age, like is, is it providing a benefit for some people? It could, Um, I would say people who are very, very insulin resistant, but many people have stress as a driver. 
you know, that's kind of what's making their PCOS worse. And, Mm -hmm. and if you're going too many hours without eating, it could actually act as a stressor in the body and it might make your PCOS worse. So I think we have to be really careful about what type of intermittent fasting we're talking about. What are the drivers of the person who has PCOS and how does it make them feel? You know, other people, if they go too long without eating, they kind of get, feel like they have low blood sugar and they don't feel well if they're skipping meals or not eating until, you know, 1 p.m. Um, then they get they get famished for their next meal. Um, I, I do feel like it could help insulin resistance, but I think we have to be very cautious. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you because uh, personally, um Fast, fasting for 16 to 8 window never never worked with me uh, but some so they're, they're, I'm sure there could be a fine balance if you're really interested to figure out fasting but there is a lot of risk as Martha said that uh, it could lead to low blood sugars and um, maybe for lean PCOS case does, does it hold differently I, I want you to put uh, uh, bring some information about lean PCOS as well here yeah, I mean, if somebody's lean and, and maybe they're not that insulin resistant, like as we know, there's a huge spectrum of degrees of insulin resistance. So if somebody's lean, maybe they have a little insulin resistant resistance. Um, it, I don't think it's best for them. I, I really don't. I, I just think I think going too long without eating, it's hard to get in all the nutrients that you need, and your mm-hmm. body might kind of react by secreting more cortisol if you're going too long without eating, and it it is a bad thing. So I think you have to really pay attention to how does it make you feel? You know, are you noticing any benefits from it? Maybe if somebody was, was very insulin resistant and they were able to lower their insulin, maybe their cycles got more regular, maybe they did lose weight. Maybe for somebody, it could be beneficial. But in my experience, it doesn't work for most people with PCOS. Very interesting. And you said a very uh, interesting thing that it kind of, uh, make you lose a lot of um, you might lose opportunities uh, to get more nutrients and with PCOS uh, we come across um, you know these deficiencies one might have like magnesium uh, vitamin uh, different vitamin deficiencies so I feel that you also lose a lot of opportunities to um, you know uh, include more nutrient dense foods Exactly. Like, for example, breakfast. Like, I, I like people to have breakfast. Um, you know, there have been studies done on people who eat larger breakfasts and smaller dinners. Like, it helps with the hormone profile, helps with insulin resistance, helps to lower androgens, helps with ovulation. So if somebody's skipping breakfast, so they're losing out on that benefit, chances are they're going to be eating a larger dinner. And also you're losing out on the opportunity to have a high fiber breakfast. Like you could get your ground flax seeds in, or you could get in some antioxidants in the form of berries. So you're losing out on the opportunity to get in nutrients. Absolutely. So I think the takeaway message here is that always consult a health professional if you're interested to explore fasting and um, make sure you are including nutrient-dense meals. Uh, great. So uh, next, next aspect that we wanted to discuss was dairy. And, and uh, whenever uh, we are on a lookout for a PCOS-friendly diet or uh, foods that uh, you should eliminate, dairy tops the chart. So what do you have to say, keeping the latest science and what we have 
seen so far, Martha? Yeah, there's a lot of fear mongering around foods for PCOS, and, and I think dairy really kind of tops tops the charts. Um, a lot of people in general are just anti-dairy, so I think we have to keep that in mind. So it's not even just for PCOS. Like a lot of people just feel like humans should not be drinking mammal milk, <laughs> but there are really any studies that I know of, any good studies that show it worsens PCOS. Um, there was one study that was done where they saw an association between, between people who ate a lot of starch and a lot of dairy, and they had worse PCOS symptoms. So when the people cut, cut out the dairy and cut out the starch, their symptoms improve. But that's not a good study, in my opinion, because how can you lump those two things together? They should do two separate studies. Um, one study that has been done is they have seen an association between people who have a lot of dairy might have worse acne. So if somebody with PCOS is experiencing a lot of acne, I would say do a trial of eliminating dairy and see if your skin improves. Um, so that I do agree with. And if you don't see an improvement after a month or so, then chances are dairy is not worsening your PCOS. And there also was a study um, it was actually a very large study. It was out of Harvard University and they wrote a book. It was called The Fertility Diet. I think the author was Walter Willett and somebody else and actually George Chavero. That study showed um, that people who had higher intake of fat-free dairy compared mm -hmm. to full-fat dairy had higher rates of ovulation problems. So that study kind of concluded, if you're going to have dairy, try to do more full fat versus the fat free, which I thought was actually very interesting. And they also said like, you know, lower glycemic food. So, but they didn't see any kind of an association between dairy intake and problems with fertility in general. It was more the type of dairy. So there's not a ton of evidence behind this whole avoid dairy if you have PCOS. But I do think we have to look at the types of dairy because we can't kind of mm -hmm. lump them all together, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a fan of fermented dairy, um, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's yogurt or kefir, something that's mm -hmm. fermented because that has a lot of gut health benefits. And we mm -hmm. do know there is a huge link between gut health and uh, PCOS or insulin resistance um, symptoms. So something like a contain, you know, a serving of full fat, yogurt that's fermented would probably act a lot differently in the body than a cup of skim milk. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think we have to look at that. So kind of my recommendations with dairy would be, you know, get fermented when you can. Um, sure, go ahead and get organic if you have that option. Um, and then try to do more of the full fat or at least the 2% over the fat-free dairy. And mm -hmm. just pay attention to your body. Like if, if you're curious cut dairy out for a month or two and see if your symptoms get better. If they do, maybe you do have a bit of a, a dairy sensitivity um, and maybe it's not great for you, but most of my clients can easily fit dairy into their diet. You know, Martha, you shared so many interesting uh, things about going dairy free. And I feel that dairy itself could be another topic in itself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think some things for people to consider is that, um, you know, what sort of, um, as you mentioned, what 
kind of PCOS do you have? Or what are the symptoms that are really dominant in you? And I feel, um, I mean, I would love uh, for you to share that. What are the few things that could actually make it very concerning for somebody? I mean, uh, is there anything specific that makes this fear around dairy? Well, I think I, I think it starts from many people are anti-dairy, just regardless if you have PCOS or not, right? It's a real hot topic. Whenever somebody on social media posts about dairy, you'll get people jumping in saying humans were not meant to be drinking mammal milk and, you know, or uh, abusive cows or in their cat. I mean, there's it's a very hot topic. Dairy oh. does contain hormones um, because the cows are, I guess, are injected with the hormones. And, and, oh. and that that's an issue. You know, I would really love to see more studies done on dairy and PCOS. You know, if mm -hmm. somebody drinks a lot of dairy, is it raising certain levels of hormones that worsens PCOS symptoms? Like, I'll be the first person, if I see those studies, I'll be the first person to say, yeah, cut out dairy, you know, for sure. Yeah. But it's just in my experience, a lot of my clients will have Greek yogurt with like flax seeds and fruit for breakfast and they love it. It makes them feel full. They feel good. Uh, might help with, you know, bowel issues. So I, I have not seen a lot of problems. Now, if somebody says to me, I cut out dairy and I feel so much better, then maybe you had a dairy sensitivity to mm -hmm. the protein in dairy. Because one of the problems with dairy for some people is that there are different types of protein in dairy. There's like casein A and casein B. And some people have an allergy. Okay, that's a whole other story. If you have a dairy allergy, you should not touch dairy. But some people have a sensitivity and there's no great test for sensitivity. But maybe when you have dairy, maybe you feel inflamed, um, you just don't feel good, you have gut issues. So maybe you truly have a sensitivity to the protein in dairy. There are certain kinds of cows that don't have this particular protein. I can't remember mm -hmm. if it's casein A or casein B, but you can buy that kind of dairy that doesn't have that particular protein and you should be okay. And then lastly, some people have a lactose intolerance to dairy. A lot of people do actually, maybe 60% of people have some degree of lactose intolerance. And that means the milk sugar in dairy called lactose, they get gastrointestinal uh, effects from it. Like it could be bloating, oh. gas, diarrhea, and that's due to the lactose. So in that case, your choices will be to avoid dairy, just don't have it. Or you could buy a lactose-free yogurt or a lactose-free um, milk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. And, and I feel that, of course, in, the, in, in light of lacking research on this subject, which good quality research. Yeah. Uh, I feel we can also rely in this case on the lived experiences. Like you see a lot of women with PCOS. In our community, we've had these polls multiple times and it's been um, a very, um, always very 50-50 percentage for pro-dairy or no dairy. So for people, it has also worked having dairy because uh, some of them said actually that, you know, my hair feels better and it's a good protein source for me uh, in the current circumstances. So not everybody may have access to uh, the protein rich sources. Um, they do not have access to their own kitchen. So in right. that case, yogurts uh, become a great source of protein for them. So I feel to each of its own and it's something that you have to uh, do a hidden trial and figure out, but, but it can be really, really harmful 
to absorb this information that dairy is bad for PCOS. I think that's that that would be an incorrect way to put it uh, across. Yeah, I agree. And, in, in you know, I think you and I both agree on there's no one size fits all approach for PCOS. And I don't think we can have a blanket statement that dairy is bad for everybody with PCOS. I think um, you have to pay attention to your body, experiment in different types of dairy, do an elimination diet. Uh, if you if it worsens your symptoms, don't have it. You don't need it. But if you enjoy it and it makes your body feel good, then you can incorporate it in. Just choose the healthier types of dairy. Yeah. And when it comes to cheese, um, do you think that there's certain kind of cheese which are better uh, or can be easier for people for PCOS to digest? Cheese is, is low in lactose. So if somebody has a lactose, lactose issue, it should not bother them from that standpoint. Um, it does contain protein. So if somebody has, you know, some kind of an issue with the protein in cheese, they might still have a problem. Uh, cheese was not associated with an increased incidence of um, acne. Um, I think it also depends on like, what are you eating the cheese with, right? Are you doing mm -hmm. like a little shaved Parmesan on a salad or are you eating macaroni and cheese? Are you eating four slices of pizza? Like where yeah. are you getting the cheese from? Are you having Absolutely. a little piece of cheese with an apple for a snack? You know, I think yeah. that plays a role too. So um, yeah. I think it's a portion issue. Great point. Great point. And I, uh, and there's something that I would share here as a personal note, uh, that when I was diagnosed with PCOS uh, about more than a decade ago, uh, I found P eliminating dairy really helpful. Uh, and I was very sensitive at that point in time. But over the years, when I learned to manage my PCOS, uh, whenever, if I have dairy, I'm able to absorb, digest it much better than how I was able to do it before. So I think it's also about how your body reduces the inflammation, like the inflammation levels in the body reduces, or maybe it is over the time when your body starts to heal. Uh, maybe uh, it helps you uh, to digest those foods that you eliminated. So I think it's also about different phases where, yeah. where you are in. So, yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, we spoke about dairy and um, now I think the next one that we want to talk about is there's a lot of um, talk about going vegan um, and, and eliminating animal-based foods. And we already spoke about dairy just now. Um, what are your thoughts about taking out meats and animal-based foods uh, as a standard practice for PCOS diets? Again, this is something where there's like no research behind it and you kind of have two camps. I think, you know, one camp of people says, yes, you need to be a vegan. And the other camp says you should not be a vegan because you don't get enough protein if you have PCOS. Um, and there is really, I don't think there's a one size fits all approach. Um, most of my clients are not vegan, but that being said, I do have some. And if that's truly what you want and if it what makes your body feel good, you just have to make sure you're really careful with planning your vegan diet. You know, you can get enough protein, but it, there takes a lot. You definitely have to do some planning with it. Your, your diet would probably be a little bit higher in carbs if you're vegan, but um, it would also would be pr probably higher in fiber because hopefully you'll be doing it the right way and lots of whole grains and all that. But I really, there's no research behind everybody with PCOS needs to be a vegan. Um, I think the benefits of being a vegan would be, 
um, or benefits of the vegan diet would be that you're eating a lot of plant-based foods. And I'm totally on board with eating a lot of plant-based foods, like lots of vegetables and, and nuts and seeds and whole grains and legumes and some fruit. Like those foods have a ton of benefits for PCOS because they're high in fiber. They have a lot of antioxidants. But I really don't see why people cannot also incorporate fish and some poultry and red meat or dairy into that style of eating. Um, what could be a problem, in my opinion, is, is when people, they focus too much on animal protein and they don't have enough plant-based foods in their diet. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is a big problem. Um, but I think... I don't think everybody has to be a vegan. But uh, again, if you want to, just make sure you're getting in enough protein in your diet and you're you're kind of eating the right kinds of foods to get your nutrients in. Uh, I think I com I, I kind of agree with you. And, and plant-based foods are rich in fiber and antioxidants um, and does help. And high-fiber diet does help. Uh, not everybody, there could be a lot of people who may not be able to take the high fiber diet, but fiber is really important for uh, digestion and having a good hormonal health. Uh, but from someone like, I, I did pursue a certification in plant-based nutrition and I have been, um, most of my time, I like to have plant-based diet. And there are certain things that I'd like to share, uh, which could be mistakes like so, so your animal-based foods are high in B12 and uh, people with PCOS uh, are also, you know, deficient uh, in this vitamin and that could be your lost opportunity. So you might want to speak with your health professional or health provider to see how you can supplement because that's one of the things that people go low on. And once you also get low on animal-based animal foods, uh, you also has uh, you also may have protein deficiency, and you have to do an extra effort to bring variety of protein-rich um, foods in your meals. So that's one thing that you have to be very careful about. Uh, apart from that, I feel that vitamin D deficiency is also on the rise, and that's one of the things that you also get from animal-based foods. Some of them substantially. So. Uh, these are the things that you might want to consider uh, before you jump on the veganism band, you know, bandwagon. I feel that it's definitely not bad, but it does come with a lot of risk and you might want to uh, explore all of these risks and find professional help uh, before you get started. Exactly. And, and I think also, you know, keeping track of your blood work, you know, you can easily get a nutrient panel done when you get your blood tested you can get tested for B12. Whoever is on metformin definitely should be um, yeah. checking their B12. You can check for iron deficiencies, which are common mm -hmm. and also zinc deficiencies, which mm -hmm. can affect if you're low in zinc, you can have more trouble with, you know, hair loss. Um, so checking your nu nutritional status and, I think just paying attention to how your body feels like, do you have enough energy? If you're on a vegan diet, maybe you have more energy, maybe you feel great, or maybe you feel sluggish um, in, in pay attention to what your symptoms are. Um, some people might find weight loss is more difficult because maybe they don't have enough protein, but other people it's better for them. So like you said, seek professional help, keep track of your blood work and just really pay attention to your body, your symptoms, and, and how it's making you feel. And then I think you'll know if it's right for you or if it's not right for you. And also I think somebody could be a flexitarian, like they don't necessarily have to be purely plant-based. Like they could 
be plant-based yeah. 70% of the time. And then maybe a couple times a week, they can incorporate fish or some yogurt. You know, it doesn't have to be one or the, or the other, unless it's what you choose to do. Some people just truly want to be plant-based. Absolutely. And since we're talking about veganism, one important aspect I want to talk about, and I, ever since I moved to the US, I see that there are so many uh, variety of foods that you see on supermarkets, which are vegan. So you'll have a vegan burger patty or your vegan sausages and which is nothing but processed form of foods and people just being vegan and consuming so many, so high amount of processed foods uh, can also be detrimental. And I see the veganism, of course, these kind of foods rising in India as well. So I would like you to share some um, you know, knowledge here about these kind of foods that are available now. Yeah, you know, they're kind of, you're right, they're, they kind of have like a health halo. You know, people think they're healthy because they're, quote, vegan. Um, I think soy in itself can be great for PCOS unless you have a soy sensitivity or a soy allergy. But I usually tell people to do more of the unprocessed natural soy, organic yeah. if you can. I'm not a fan of the highly, highly processed foods. Like you said, that like the the soy, the soy hot dogs or the uh, you know, tons of veggie burgers with lots of processed soy in them. Um, I just don't think we know the effect of highly processed soy in the body. Um, they can certainly have more, you know, pesticides or GMOs in them. But again, they're just highly processed. So if somebody wants to do soy products, I usually recommend that they try to do more of just the plain, like whether it's edamame or tofu, because um, we're trying to limit intake of something that's highly processed. Um, and that's what a lot of those foods are. I'm not saying don't ever have them, but I wouldn't make them be a very regular part of your diet. Absolutely. Now, whole foods are definitely much better as your regular diet than processed foods. And uh, soy is another topic in itself, but I am glad that you addressed that. Uh, just um, making fear around soy uh, wouldn't help again. Uh, we have a separate uh, podcast lined up just for soy, so I'm. Oh, good. I'll okay. invite every everybody to do do tune in whenever that's out. Um, great. So, so we spoke about veganism, we spoke about dairy, we spoke about fasting. Another one which is very, very common that you see and keeping in mind uh, that PCOS can have, uh, you know, people with PCOS could have comorbidity, especially cardiovascular issues, um, diabetes, um, and of course, like the long-term health consequences as well. Um, what are your views uh, about the low fat diet. Right. Um, yeah. It, you know, you kind of hear both ends, you know, the opposite spectrum you hear about, you have to go low carb and then some people say low fat. I know personally myself when I'm just showing my age here, but when I trained a long time ago, we were trained to, to thinking fat was bad. And, you know, we were in the era where everybody was eating fat-free cookies and everything fat-free salad dressing. Mm -hmm. I cringe when I see the stuff I used to eat or talk about. <laughs> now I love fat. Um, but fat has health benefits for PCOS. You know, one of the biggest ones is that it helps to stabilize blood sugar. Um, because when you eat just carbs by itself, you get a spike of blood sugar and insulin. 
And even adding protein helps a little bit, but what really helps to stabilize blood sugar and insulin is adding fat to a meal. Uh, it keeps you feeling full longer um, and it prevents those insulin blood sugar spikes. So it ha has a tremendous benefits for PCOS. I think the fullness one is a big one because a lot of times with PCOS, you, you know, you have hunger all the time. You have these altered mm. hunger hormones and fat has a lot of satiety, satiety value. So that's a big one. Another one is we do need fat to make hormones. And if you're on a very low fat diet, you know, you might not be Absolutely. making the right kinds of hormones or the right types of hormones. You might have more mm. fatty acid deficiencies. You might have really thinning hair. Uh, so fat, you know, has benefits um, in that aspect. And fat contains fat-soluble vitamins, and it, ta mm. it tastes good. It just makes food mm. taste good. Now, we got to keep in mind, if somebody's watching their weight or they're trying to lose weight, fat does have a lot of calories, so it's not like you can eat unlimited amounts of even healthy fats like olive oil and avocado. Very healthy. But if you're eating a lot of it, it, it does pack in a lot of calories, and it can make weight loss mm -hmm. more difficult. But I definitely think you're, you should you know, consume a, a fair amount of fat in your diet. Absolutely. So I think you said that portion and the kind of fat, so the quality of fats that you're including uh, really, really um, is important. And people who are dependent on the processed foods or people on the go, um, you know, they might be at risk of consuming a lot of low quality oils that go in the food. So uh, what is your recommendation for people since we're talking about the busy people and and I, um, I would like you to share something for what they could do. I mean, give a few examples on how they could switch, uh, a few switches that it could, they could do in their daily life. Um, I would start reading food labels. Well, first of all, I would use natural fats when possible. You know, even mm -hmm. something like ground flaxseed has natural fat in it. Olive oil has, ha has, has a healthy kind of a fat. Um, avocado, you know, having a salad, add some avocado to the salad. Um, Nuts and seeds have have like when I say healthy fat, uh, I guess I should clarify. I like monounsaturated fats; um, mm -hmm. those are really good for cholesterol. And you find those in avocado, extra virgin olive oil, um, some in nuts and seeds, avocado oil. So th those are great kinds of fats. I also mm -hmm. like a kind of fat. It's a polyunsaturated fat called an omega three fat, mm -hmm. and that you get mainly in fatty fish. Um, mm -hmm. those are my favorite kind of fats. Also, um, the kind of fats I would say to consume in moderation, you don't have to avoid them by any means because they all, they have some health benefits as well would be fats from like fatty animal products. Um, mm -hmm. they they contain more saturated fat. So if somebody had really high cholesterol, they might want to be a little careful with having like a lot of full fat dairy or a lot of butter or cream cheese. Um, I never tell people to eliminate them because again, they have some health benefits, but I'd be careful with those in moderation, especially if you have high cholesterol. And then the, the fats I do tell people to kind of be aware are the ones that are um, the highly processed vegetable oils, which unfortunately are in a lot of products. You can start to mm. read your container of your salad dressing or of your, your marinara sauce in a jar. And that would be things like um, soybean oil, corn oil, safflower oil. Some people are very much against seed oils, like almost fanatically so. Mm -hmm. I'm more against the imbalance that we have in our diet where we have too much 
seed oils, which contain omega-6 fats and too little omega-3 fats, which are the ones mm. you find in fatty fish. When you have an imbalance in your diet, that causes more inflammation. Um, because we, we should be having a much better balance. We should be having more omega-3s and less of the seed oils, omega-6s, uh, omega but we don't do that with all these processed foods. So to me, that's more of a concern than kind of freaking out that somebody had some um, some healthy black bean chips that were made with canola oil. Like some people freak out with the seed oils. I'm more looking at the balance of things and just start looking at your labels. Like for example, when I buy marinara sauce in a jar, I'll try and get one that's made with olive oil instead of canola oil. I try to make my own salad dressing, but if for some reason I didn't, I would look at the, the label and I would make sure it was made from olive oil or avocado oil instead of soybean oil. Um, so just start reading labels, but when possible, try to use natural fats. And, and what are your views about coconut oil? Uh, That's a good question. Um, coconut oil kind of has this health halo. People just think it's like the best thing in the world. Um, first of all, if you are going to use coconut oil, I would try to use extra virgin versus the highly refined coconut oil because then you're mm -hmm. losing the antioxidants in it. Um, I think coconut oil is fine. You know, I don't think people need to be cooking everything in coconut oil. There's a lot more research behind uh, olive oil. Um, I, I would almost rather see somebody even do avocado oil over coconut oil. If somebody has really high cholesterol and some of it's just like genetically high cholesterol and they use a lot of coconut oil, I have seen people's LDL kind of skyrocket. Mm -hmm. Um it can also raise your HDL, which is a good thing. But but I think, again, if you have the family history of the high cholesterol, I would definitely focus more on the olive oil, avocado oil, coconut oil in moderation. Um, I think coconut oil is fine. But I, again, there's not the research behind it like there is with the other kinds of oils. Yeah. I mean, um, my view here is that coconut oil is really high in saturated fats, although saturated fats also help but they should be taken in moderation as much as i have studied so far and interestingly the south asian or the asian diet is very high on coconut itself or coconut oils and <clears throat> and we also see high rates of um heart issues and especially in south indians so which rely a lot on coconut so i do feel that coconut has a great advantage uh, but should be um, included with caution and in limitations and so and we also use a lot of ghee like yeah. indian foods are made in ghee yeah. which are yeah. which is again very yeah. very heavy yeah. high in calories because oil also are very calorie dense so it's sort of you know going low on oil helps to reduce calories if you're looking for that goal uh, but also again, very high in saturated fat. So I always recommend, like I, I have personally seen great benefits of using them cautiously, but also taking their advantage and not eliminating them. Yeah, um, it, you know, it's it's super, the whole the whole subject of saturated fat and heart disease. It's really complicated. And like yeah. years ago, I would tell people, oh, you got to really be careful with saturated fat, and you should hardly have any of it. Now they're kind of finding out, well, there's different types of saturated fatty acids. You know, the one that's in coconut oil might not be as bad for heart health as the one that's in butter or red mm. meat. So it, it's, it's really confusing. Uh, but I just, I like people to look at their biomarkers. I just like people to look at their blood work. And if they find if they have a diet that's high in um, saturated fat, that's high in coconut oil or ghee, 
And if you cut down on those kind of fats and then your cholesterol, your LDL comes down, then, then maybe it wasn't good for you. So pay attention to your blood work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think this is another topic of cooking for PCOS, I believe, because how you cook your foods, if you're using the oil to, you know, cook your foods at really high temperatures, um, then that's a different subject. Yeah. Uh, again, that yeah. sort of reduces the quality of the fats that you'll take and burn all the antioxidants. So yeah, um, I always recommend not cooking your food at really high temperatures. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, this was really helpful. And um, moving on to our last topic, the, the fifth one, uh, which is about macros or low carbs uh, that a lot of people, we see this recommendation almost everywhere. Go low carb. Uh, you know, you should have low carb, just 10%, 20%. So everybody have this percentages that they're defined. And I almost see, um, you know, everybody showing a plate which has some sort of percentage defined. Um, what do you have to say uh, about the low-carb low diet? And keeping in mind uh, the insulin resistance, which is always apparent in 75% of people with lean PCOS that we see, that we've, we've read on International PCOS Guidelines. And almost 90%, over 90% people who are lar with larger bodies will also have insulin resistance. Yeah, it's it's super confusing. Again, we're lumping everybody into this kind of one group that everybody has to be low carb. You know, first of all, like you said, what does low carb mean? You know, does it mean, you know, 50 grams a day, 30 grams a day? Does it mean 20% of your calories from carb? There's no one set definition for low carb. I think what we have to think about the goal for somebody with insulin resistance, the goal is going to be to prevent blood sugar and insulin spikes. That's the goal. Um, so how do we know what level of carbs is best for you? You know, unless you were wearing like a continuous glucose monitor and you saw what was going on with your blood sugar, we don't really know. So I kind of like to, I like to start with, if somebody's insulin resistant, I definitely like a moderate carb, carb diet. Um, what's kind of interesting is that they've done studies on people who were on like higher carb, almost plant-based diets, and they really improved their blood sugar and even their insulin numbers. So it doesn't mean that everybody who has insulin resistance needs to be on a low carb diet. We have to pay attention to what is your activity level? You know, for somebody who's very mm -hmm. active, they're going to need more carbs or they're going to mm -hmm. feel exhausted. They won't be able to exercise. Um, I do think if you're kind of balancing the plate and you are having some fat, some protein with the carb, you are going to prevent that, that spike that we don't want to have. But it, it depends on the person, really. And I look at what the results are and how they feel. Some people truly feel better on very low-carb diets. Um, I, I mean, I couldn't personally do it. I wouldn't feel well, but they feel better. And they like, they like to eat that way. You know, I'm not a fan of keto, but again, I do have a couple of clients who follow that, and they feel better on a ketogenic diet. But most of my clients do more of a moderate carb diet, and maybe that would be like you know thirty five percent or forty percent of their calories are coming from carbs. Um, I don't think anybody has to really count that unless they love numbers. Then you could do like one of those those calorie trackers or macro trackers. But I think a moderate carb diet works well for people. Now, for people who are not insulin resistant, some people, you know, they're lean. 
um, and they maybe have stress as a major driver. And if they're trying to take their carbs too low, I think they're going to have um, some negative effects and they're going to have very low energy levels. They're going to have more cravings and might even act as a stressor in the body. Maybe they would make more cortisol. So low carb diets are not for everybody. I completely agree. And I somehow feel that like the South Asian diet, since majority of my audience is South Asian um, from different parts of the world, uh, I do feel that we have a very high carb, carb diet. Like we usually tend to have rotis or rice-based meals a lot. And in that process, we might lose the sight of having enough protein with it. And also you said, right, that uh, how active you are also plays a big role in terms of how many carbs you might get. Are you a sedentary person or are you somebody who's really active? Um, and I would also like to draw attention for people who are lean PCOS, uh, like myself, and I have never worked well with uh, low carb diets because for me, it's more about making sure that I don't have visceral fats, I am having enough muscle mass and low carb has just the symptoms that you indicated it just makes me even more stressed uh and that also comes from using a glucose meter for a year i actually experimented and i saw that uh no matter what kind of diets you take and in question low carb if you are not slept well or you are very stressed already and your life in general has a lot of stressors which is making your pieces worse. In that case, the low carb diet alone will not make any difference. Yeah, that's so true. So it's not, it's not just diet, it's also lifestyle, exactly. But I, I think it's, you know, it just puts pressure on people, you know, feeling like I have to be in a low carb diet. There are much higher rates of disordered eating with PCOS. And now you feel like I'm not allowed to eat carbs. And then you feel deprived. And then if you eat carbs, you feel bad and you beat yourself up. It's such a vicious cycle. So I, you know, I just try to tell people just focus on giving your body nourishing foods, you know, eating kind of balanced meals with enough protein at meals. Um, maybe start your meals with approaching the vegetable and eat the carb last. That's like another little trick that you can do. But don't feel like you have to be on a really low carb diet. Mm -hmm. uh, completely agree. Now that we are almost end of our, at the end of our episode, um, I'd like to sort of wrap up. So we, we spoke about fasting, going dairy-free, veganism, um, low-fat, talking about carbs in general. Um, I want you to, I mean, share a takeaway message which could help cut the noise that we, you know, when we, what we see around and what could be maybe a few steps one could take when they are getting ready to work on their PCOS? Uh, the first thing I like people to do is just to keep like a notebook and just write down in the notebook, you know, like what you eat, like what time of the day you eat, you know, what you have for breakfast, what you have for lunch. Um, did you move your body? How much sleep did you get? And just start to really pay attention to how your body feels. I think so oftentimes we're so busy, we're not thinking about this, but pay attention. Like, do you go too long in between eating? Then you get really, really hungry and then you don't feel satisfied. Do you not take the time to plan a good lunch with enough protein? Do you skip breakfast totally? Then you're starving. So just start to get an idea of what your habits are without judging yourself and without having these like kind of preconceived notions like I'm not allowed to have carbs or I can't have dairy. Just start to take some notes. 
And then I think as you really notice how your body feels, I think you can kind of naturally, you know, notice that you feel better when you have more balanced meals. Like, are you getting in enough vegetables? Um, just start with one small step at a time, but just really keep in mind that everybody has a different pace to us. There's no one size fits all. There's no one plan for you. Everybody's different and you have to pay attention to what makes your body feel good. And you can, you, you can figure that out. And, and also to think about what you can add into your diet versus supposedly what you shouldn't have. Think about really delicious foods that you can add into your diet and it'll just give you more pleasure with eating. Awesome. Marta, it was a pleasure having you and thank you for um, putting your uh, very busy time here with us and sharing the wealth of knowledge that you have. Thanks so much for inviting me. I love sharing my knowledge with your listeners and I'd love to come back again, but thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you for tuning into PCOS and you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you found value in this conversation, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you have questions, topic suggestions, or you just want to say hello, connect with me on my social media channels on Instagram, YouTube by the name Pieces Club India. And remember, your feedback is invaluable. If you loved what you heard, please leave me a review on this episode. Your reviews will help me grow and improve. If you think that this conversation and this podcast could help somebody who's dealing with PCOS, don't forget to share with them. Stay inspired, stay informed, and remember, you're stronger than PCOS. Until next time, this is Nidhi Singh signing off from PCOS and you. Take care.